Welcome to Quantum, the podcast every STEM student should be listening to, covering everything from what's going on in the world of science, interviewing people with STEM majors and what they have gone on to do, all the way to talking about finance, careers, and business. In the last episode, we talked about Amazon and the recent YouTube ad they've had with uh, their warehouse trying to kind of fix their brand image after a lot of controversies that, you know, we've seen over the years and years. But today, we've got a very special guest back again. Vigo, why don't you say hi? Hello, guys. So, you know, last time we talked about Ants and kind of his whole YouTube channel and all that. But today we're actually going to have a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to take, uh, you know, kind of a theoretical concept known as the Darwinian demon, uh, which Rog- Vigo is going to explain in a second. But it is, you know, it, this is much more kind of a discussion episode uh, than talking uh, kind of about uh, what Vigo has done. So let's jump into it. All right, Vigo, why don't you get us started off with, uh, you know, telling us what is a Darwinian demon? A Darwinian demon. Well, well, well. So uh, the discussion today was planned to be concerning a very interesting topic that, uh, of mine for biology, which is the concept of the Darwinian demon, which is shortly you could think of it as the most epic organism out there that just has you know how different organisms have fitness in different areas but they have just maximized fist fitness and everything so hold on hold on you're rip- saying that it's better than an ant yes well i'm gonna come to ants <laughs> <laughs> so um so you can imagine an organism that reproduces immediately after it's born all the time an organism that lives forever an organism that develops into its mature stage super fast yeah because um and then obviously can reproduce because there is a lot of trade-offs all animals due to uh, today because of the biological and um, physical physiological constraints that are put on them by reality and you could think of for example you have uh you have certain organisms that reproduce super quick um like certain let's say rats uh they um uh, develop super quick, but they, they don't develop that big or like smaller, smaller animals develop much quicker and reproduce much quicker, but they don't live as long, uh, often than for example, elephants that live much longer, etc. I mean, I could go on. There is a specific definition of them, uh, which is a hypothetical organism that is able to maximize all elements of its fitness simultaneously. It reproduces immediately after birth, produces the maximum number of young, and lives indefinitely. So we mm-hmm. could leave it at that for now. But so, yeah, I was thinking, I, was, I wanted to ask you, Alison, if you could make up the most epic Darwinian demon in your mind, what would it be? Hmm. Uh, what would it honestly, look like? I, I kind of have no like? idea. <laughs> smell like, all right. <laughs> well, ideally, you know, you're hunting prey. Uh, so ideally, you want to have no smell, of course. Because would it hunt way... prey or would it eat? Would it be a herbivore? Uh, or would it? Optima, well, it should eat everything, right? Ideally, mm-hmm. it should ha- be able to do photosynthesis, so it doesn't even need food. It wow. should be able to, you know, eat plants, eat meat, eat just absolutely anything that you can find that has energy. Maybe have like, you know, a little power plant in it so you can eat coal and then get energy from that. Just, just really, you know, going that high tech solution. You're talking about Groot now, that <laughs> superhuman tree that just photosynthesizes and eat every, eats everything. But is it about eating, though? I, I would think that my organism would be able to eat almost everything organic 
but it would not have to eat that much since it has such high efficiency within itself. And it would also have everything but be simple. So it develops quickly into its mature form so it can reproduce quickly. I mean, we could talk about, for example, you can also take different takes. Would you say that humans are a type of, type of Darwinian demon? Absolutely we not. We using... have so many disadvantages. But since you mentioned this, I actually uh, got thinking about one thing, that humans as individuals, we are severely lacking in many ways. But you know, when, you were ta- when we were talking about kind of the consumption and the lifespan and all that, if you take society as a whole, you know, as, as kind of a group that works together as kind of a single organism, there you could potentially could start talking about some features of a Darwinian demon because of the efficiency around like technology optimizing with a lot of things and giving this kind of scale we have, we can, you know, as a society, we can we have airplanes and all that. So if we group it together as like society as a whole, potentially that could be something you could start to argue is getting kind of close. Okay, that's interesting. So you would put ants pretty high up there, would you? Or no, you're talking about technology only then. So Because we, we are a colony of cells, and yeah. each of our cells is a colony of genes that are working together in a chromosome. So you could put it on every level. So you can have a Darwinian gene then. So would you say that the Darwinian gene is part of our chromosome? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a bit of a segue i'm sorry i'm not sure Um, what i would define a darwinian uh, gene as but i would say if we are gonna you know talk about this hypothetical like far superior teach uh you know creature it is it clearly has to be created from collaboration the same way a mm -hmm. single cell organism you know isn't is further away from being a darwinian demon than a multi-cell organism so obviously if you have several you know a common like not obviously but it's in me if you have a bunch of organisms working together that's kind of the next step up getting you even closer to this so you actually mentioned ants ants of course live in colonies so they would also Mm -hmm. kind of be the next step from just a single ant same way humans are kind of the next step just from a single human Although I'd say our access to technology, the way we can use it, it takes us maybe a little bit closer, uh, you know, than, uh, for example, ants. Okay, yeah. No, but um, two things, uh, twofold for my answer. Um, first of all, I think for uh, for humans, we are sort of a Darwinian demon. I would less think about the community aspect of it, but more about the, uh, the inventions we make. So, for example, instead of evolving these claws that would cost a lot, we just make tools pretty easily. Or we have, uh, as you said, app things instead of evolving. Because if, for, for example, birds, in order for them to fly, they need to have, you know, bones that are mm-hmm. super light and not that stable, and they need to lose weight, and they they have these large, clump, clumsy wings, which makes them not as efficient as walking, for example, etc. But we can do all of that. We have the car for running. We have the airplane for um, for flying and we have the boats for swimming so we're just darwinian demons when we're in our uh, sort of uh, well the material materialism that we have created around us i would say uh but for the other thing about cooperation uh, or collaboration you said so in biology we have done a lot of uh, lectures on cooperation which involves mutualism selfishness and etc etc so would you say on a more philosophical level that the optimum 
for survival is always collaboration. I think the, you know it, it depends on some species because of course you have examples where uh, you know there's some of the species aren't uh, kind of collaborating with others and you can't have more kind of predatory individual based uh, kind of species which do fine. Uh, but comparing it like to which species on the macro scale do best, you know, like ants as far as you know how su- you know, how successful quote unquote. Uh, they are as a species in, you know, their reach around the earth and how much space they could take up and, you know, the kind of regions they can populate, they Mm. are very much uh, kind of high up there because of collaboration. People Mm. are very much high up there because of collaboration. You know, you mentioned the technology. Well, we wouldn't have the technology without collaboration. You're not going to have one person Mm. on their own invent all of this. It was created because of collaboration. And as such, I think collaboration, if you're looking to kind of get to that next step, is uh, kind of an important factor uh, that clearly seems to uh, really help. Yeah, no, it is an important factor. I mean, in order for for you to call it the Darwinian demon, so are you looking at it in the sense that you see the entire community as a Darwinian demon or as you see the individual because of its ability to be part of a community? community as a Darwinian demon. The entire community. So the the kind of a way I could explain it is, you know, it's about the specialization. So the same Mm -hmm. way, you know, people or, you know, large organisms have evolved with cells that specialize and then organs Mm -hmm. which are very specialized and all this. The same way people are kind of, quote unquote, evolving by education and all this to be very specialized so that we can kind of maximize uh, the effect, which is why you know, people as a whole or ants as a whole or any kind of collaborative organism, you know, when you group them together, uh, that kind of group could be, you know, coming closer to a Darwinian demon. Okay. Fair enough. It's, uh, it's an interesting perspective because I, I always thought about, you know, a human with a car, a bike, etc. cetera, uh, uh, could become a Darwinian demon if it has enough, stuff around it that it has created with its mind but seeing a community as a darwinian demon would be fine in my opinion because for example if you see a cat as a darwinian demon the exact same thing as you said it is just a bunch of cells collaborating anyways so you could just bring it up a notch um it becomes abstract when you think about bringing for example could you think about for example if ants and aphids work together in a community would you think of them if they reached a state of complete epicness, as we called it? Uh, do you think they together could come, I mean, a cross-species collaboration that becomes a Darwinian demon? Where I could give you, for example, you, you're made of, made of you know, eukary- eukaryotic cells, but millions and maybe billions of uh, bacterial cells too that are from yeah, other species would, working in your stomach. Yeah, so I would it's say basically like line up. an ecosystem. You literally have an ecosystem in you. Yeah. Uh, that's I'd say definitely like, especially like even if we take away the fact that uh, you know the, the, that different species collaborating wouldn't be an issue because that's what happens on a you know because of the similarity of genetics we can look at it you know from the cells collaborating because the same way uh, you know organs collaborate and all that there's differences between them they still work together to form an organism but the other side of it which i think you know if if that's not good enough a justification for you then there's another side where well look at the actual like dna of them 
it's like majority of it it's so close that mm. that small variation you could say oh that's just the like the, you have variations between types of cells you have variation between this both the you know dna side of it is so close that you know if if you ignore some if you give it a tiny amount of margin of error they're identical or you can look at it from the way of well you know different types of cells different types of these collaborate and as such both i would say is completely fine to class them together as a single organism mm, yeah so if we bring it down on on a gene level i don't see how i would create a darwinian demon gene except there are two ways to go for it either you could have a really effective gene that uh, we have talked about selfish genes before there you have so transposons etc these are genes that encode proteins that sort of insert them or duplicate them all over the genome on different organisms and they could either cause the organism to fail which is called a selfish gene etc um, loosely said um, and uh, then they would cause the organism to fail until the it's called a parliamentary of genes that exist in the organism that has the interest uh, of that has you know the main interest to make the organism reproduce again. Uh, they start to you know there is an evolutionary force causing them to find a solution to silence that selfish gene that is causing trouble. So you could find, for example, a Darwinian demon gene that sort of fights the parliament of genes and manages to you know in uh, just coexist with them, but still reproduce ferociously fast and effectively. Mm -hmm. um, but then you also have, and that, that could actually be true for a lot of genes because half of our genome is junk for you and me. Half of it is just rep repetitions of yeah. useless But I think uh, there, there the limitation is kind of what scale are you looking at? Because the, you know, the species reproducing creates additional space for those genomes that collaborate that kind of allow it to actually function so they're be able to actually spread you know quote unquote spread across a wider number of a like a larger mm. scale because you have the extra species if you do have a selfish genome it restricts itself because as you mentioned you know the functionality of it is not there they don't collaborate in the same way and as such it restricts its uh, kind of functionality and scale that it can grow to to that single kind of organism that it occupies as opposed to uh, being able to kind of scale up into a larger amount you know larger species mm. yeah now but we, then we could take the other perspective would you think that for example a gene such as the gene encoding ribosomes which is present in all organisms today could that be a darwinian demon in your darwinian demon gene in your eyes uh, in the you know in, in the scale of genes, yeah, it's closer than uh, so because because of the fact that it's uh, kind of being able to scale up across all organisms, and if we measure the success of organisms, so how close they get to being a Darwinian demon, being kind of the efficiency and scale they're able to function at, then yeah, mm. absolutely, that's much closer than the alternatives. So yeah, I mean, we're thinking within the boundaries of genes now. I could think of another. Darwinian uh, um, demon uh, in quotes gene that is another macromolecule with the uh, different monomers that encodes information much more efficiently and that for example let's say can travel between organisms or can you know exist without the 
uh, the constant environment of the cell, etc. So you could talk really, you, you know, you need to put a framework when talking about the Darwinian demon in my eyes. But specifically, it's talking about species then, uh, an animal, an organism. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also multicellular organisms, usually. Um, yeah, well, I think in, in those cases, we can cross out society and we can cross out anything below uh, kind of the multicell organisms. Uh, and there, I don't know, I think there it becomes kind of much less practical. So I think when we're talking about the Darwinian demon without the restriction of, you know, being applied just to animals, we can really kind of find solutions for, uh, you know, that, that can optimize for something. So how you talked about you know, the genome which could survive outside the cell and things like that, that is something, you know, let, let's say we're working in a lab and uh, trying to find solutions to kind of how to improve people because there's a lot of uh, kind of stuff going around with optimizing kind of the, you know, the very much forward outlook of, well, how can we optimize people to be better just in a lab? So there, you know, if you talk about the genome level, you can be like, this would be ideal. Now, how can we adjust the genomes to reach that? Uh, but when you start working, you know, when you go up to a society level as a whole, like, you know, or organisms grouped uh, that live together as society, you can again try to optimize for it by looking where what do we need to change within this scale to make it better. But if we're talking about kind of animals or, you know, that scale of an organism, I think the practicality of the discussion kind of is, seems to me like that significantly diminishes because we're not at a low enough scale to be at something we can easily change, or not easily, but you know, relatively speaking, easily change, uh, but also not on a big enough scale so we can truly actually take something from it and try to use it as a guide. We, it seems like the Darwinian demon, the way it's defined, if it's bound to just being animals and you know that scale of species, mm. uh, l you know, loses its utility, essentially. Yeah. No, it definitely does. I mean, we went on an insane segue. I was trying to reach something philosophical, but no, did not happen. It's pretty sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what was the kind of the philosophical side of it that you were, you know, looking to discuss? I think, you know, like that that perfection, you know. But every, every time you touch on infinity or you know uh, anything um, physics or uh, you know, I was thinking you would segue into that from that, but it's fine. It's fine. I'm talking you want to you want to talk about perfection example. and. All that, yeah, sure. We, you know, we we could we could go on from this and talk about perfection. <laughs> so, but what, 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 just one last uh, inter last interesting thing for the the listeners. It's for the Darwinian demon. Biologists often talk about life histories. Do you know what a life history is for an, for an um, organism? No, not particularly. So it's sort of how it's life. It's it's the life of the organism and the different sort of checkpoints within it. So, and you usually talk about three things. You talk about survival, you talk about development, and you talk about reproduction. So reproduction is obviously the amount of offspring it has and when it has them during the year or how many times and how many how many offspring does it have each time it you know lets them out. Let's call it. Um, and then it's development. So how quickly it matures, and then you have survival and how long it lives. And then a lot of organisms have trade-offs between those. So if you reproduce a lot and you, for example, develop really quickly, you often live pretty short. Uh, you can see across animal, the animal kingdom and um, vice versa, etc. And a Darwinian demon would then, as I said in the introduction, live forever, reproduce a ton of times, 
and develop super quickly. So it would be able to reproduce immediately. And yeah, what I would like to, as a thought experiment that I come up with now is to think about three animals, which are really on the extremities of each, and then just put them together. And we could get a, you know, beta Darwinian demon. <laughs> All right. So for example, good. reproduction, something that reproduces a lot. I immediately think of an army ant queen. So I'm going to stick to the ants from this one. So an army ant queen, you know, army ants, they just, uh, you can lay, I mean, termite queen studios, almost like thousands of eggs. Am I going to have a look? Could you have a look in the meantime? Um, yeah. Uh, army ant queen egg, eggs a day. Uh, I'll come back to that. So then we have an army ant queen as the sort of, that reproduces um, quickly. Although it is a problem there, technical, which is that all of these eggs that come out, they need to be taken care of and fed by workers. So how could we replace that? Then I could think of maybe something that, uh, it would just have a giant organ going out of its side, which just pours out milk, unlimited milk into a pool where all, all its kids can just like drink all the time. These millions and thousands of kids. <laughs> 2,500 a day kids. 2,500, yes, that's a lot. <laughs> uh, I mean, you could go with more extremes, for example. Um, an epic thing would be during reproduction is that so you have this constant problem with um, another trade-off, which is sex, because sex costs a lot. You need to find a mate, you need to, uh, you know, it's probably dangerous because when you meet them, they could be harmful, etc. And you also, when you pass down your genetic material to your offspring, you lose 50% of it because 50% is from the other, the other individual. So it's like, why, why would you do that? And the reason for it is genetic variations. You could talk about, for example, the red queen hypothesis, which is the relationship between parasites and their host. So uh, imagine a graph where the variation, a certain phenotype for the host goes up, then there is a selective pressure for the parasites that can attack that specific phenotype, right? So then there's, they increase in numbers dramatically, and then there's a selective pressure on the host that has that phenotype to change its phenotype, then changes, and then it increases again, and then it goes up and down, up and down like that. And there you go, you need a continuing variation of the uh, of phenotypes, and that's often most easily done by recombination. By recombination, the the different genes with different you know mm-hmm. um, ways, etc. Whatever. So that's a, one of the I don't know ten a lot of reasons for why you would want to have sex. Uh, but it has its downside. But a Darwinian demon would be able to get the profits from sex without having those downsides. So it would actually sort of have sex with itself without seeing a mate and gain genetic variation, maybe through mutations, but that would not be that good because then it would lose, uh, because the genes coming from another partner is often better quality since it's alive. Um, How could it do that? There is a species I wrote in my essay about that has escaped sex because it picks up genetic material from the world around it. Um, yeah, I don't know how you would solve that, how you could get the benefits of sex without having the, the cons of sex. Uh, we could come back to that. Anyways, continuing. So a lot of kids going well with the pool of milk. 
that you would continue to development, develop super quickly, or develop super quickly. Um, I would say, um, oh, Alison, come on. Something, an animal that develops super quickly. Um, oh, God. I. Mm. No, like, let's, you know, while you're thinking of that, I do want to kind of bring up that, you know, the queen, of course, would need all the workarounds and all that to actually optimize its survival. Uh, mm. Because, of course, uh, you know, if you're, if you have a lot of offspring and you need to feed them, and the queen is busy laying 2,500 eggs a day, then, uh, you know, it needs some kind of a food source. So again, it comes back to only functioning at the scale of a group and not functioning at an individual level, which I think takes it away from being a Darwinian demon because that single organism cannot function on its own if we're going to talk about it, you know, as only being a single animal. Yeah, single animal. No, but it's... I'm just seeing, for example, imagine a massive organism, insanely big. It produces a ton of offspring that is super small mm-hmm. and that can take care of itself when it comes out. Yeah, but then that offspring just, does have to grow to the size of that super massive organism? Yeah, two seconds. Right. But that's <laughs> Just see, like me when I eat that sandwich. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, but like you know, you need that. That you, you know, you can't create that mass from nothing, right? It's but that's why Darwinian was... demon can't exist. But we're talking about hypothetically. All right, hypothetically, let's 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 forget Einstein. Get give up E C. Yeah. You know, e equals M C squared. What is what is it? Let's just forget it. And let's, that's what it's about, man. Let's, let's, let's imagine. We can have virtual electrons and virtual protons that we Yay! never have to pay back. <laughs> what, what, as a physicist how, how would you describe the perfect machine i don't know like look it's it i i have i have this problem with just the functionality of it like you know there's inherent inefficiency in everything right we have uh, you know the, you, if you take a system you know any mm. kind of system uh, then if it internally has no you know there's there's always some leakage like and you know it, it, it comes back to essentially entropy entropy always kind of decreases mm. the uh, the system uh, you know you always have kind of that's generally you know in the applied world we always lose uh, energy to heat that's kind of the most common thing uh, we have so but it, for, perfect just system, stop that. yeah um for example you have uh animals we we have an eff- uh, efficiency in our mitochondria of 40 percent where the rest goes out as heat, which is beneficial for our organism, depending on where, if we're in a desert, obviously not, but generally it does. And there's even the case that in, for example, when we're babies, we have this brown fat in us full of mitochondria, and they all have uh, 0% efficiency because they only want to emit heat instead of making, um, you know, conserved energy as ATP, as they do normally. Right, but when you look and back... And would that, would that be inefficient, then, would you say, even absolutely. though it has a benef- That's beneficial... That's massively inefficient, because why do we need that heat? We need that heat because the body cannot keep its own temperature. You know, we ha- if we take that internal system of uh, the body, uh, then, you know, you, you still have, uh, you know, the heat leaking out into the world, which is inefficient. If the body oh, yeah, was efficient, you would never need to heat it after the initial time because all that energy would stay internally and none of it would leave the system. But you need to, for example, you have these uh, seals. They have this massive 
um, layer of fat of uh, I think it's collagen and fat or something mm -hmm. around their bodies, which insulates them so well that it causes them not to be able to move because they conserve every heat mm -hmm. they have in their body. They can't move except when they're in the in the water. So because of the temperature changes in the outside world, I wouldn't say that it's inefficient to lose heat because we often want to lose heat. I mean, I was losing heat today when I was playing football. Uh, right. That would be the restraint of the change in temperature from the outside for, uh, and we need to conserve heat as endotherms. But again, and also, you know, yeah, there, you know, you're, you're kind of taking two different cases. In the case where you're playing football, the heat is the wasted thing. So the, the body produces it's heat. A waste, yeah, it, it, the, it's the waste there. So if yeah. you're trying to conserve heat, the fact you need to produce it is the inefficiency. If you have too much heat, the fact that you have the too much heat is the inefficiency that you need to get rid of from the system. That kind of perfect balance there, uh, you know, if mm. an, I guess kind of an optimization problem would need something you know that perfectly insulates, which is impossible, right? Yeah, perfectly insulates and perfectly decides what energy to produce or not. But would you agree that if we need to heat up the body? Oh no, we wouldn't because we have perfect insulation. Perfect. So the per optimal one would be a perfectly insulated organism that has the perfect temperature in the body in the beginning and then has a hundred percent transfer of energy. Well, the thing there is, if the organism has to grow, right? if the organism mm. has to grow, it has to increase in size. So obviously, the internal energy per you know unit of volume would decrease. Mm. So we would either need to optimize in some way for no, you know eat. that the initial temperature is let's say 3000 kelvin and as it grows it averages <laughs> out to like 280 <laughs> kelvin or something like that right or uh you know which would get very very complicated yeah that's, that's pretty balance. cool 280 kelvin yeah but you know no, no, no. and taking an example of you know i think the zero is 273 if i'm recalling correctly so mm -hmm. uh, we're yeah. taking some canadian weather right so 273.14 i think or something all right well there you go. <laughs> so it's 7.86 degrees celsius so it's still somewhere in canada right uh to kind of balance out uh for that temperature but i think the more likely way would be that you do need to heat it up as it grows because if you have to have an organism which you know has cells which work at some crazy amount of temperature and then mm. also have to work at a low, you know, a lower temperature, they're going to be inefficient uh, because generally, you know, because it's trying to kind of break down sugars or whatever it's trying mm. to break down and that functionality is always optimal at some given temperature. Metabolism. Uh, mm. Yeah, metabolism is optimal at some given temperature. Or you have to replace those cells with cells which are more optimal for that temperature down the line, which is inefficiency because you have to, you know, throw away a bunch of cells. And as such, mm. I think... Uh, kind of that you know you come back to this again that the temperature it's just the, te the temperature optimization with even perfect insulation is kind of a problem you know you you would what you would need really is just an ac you know just just develop the technology for an air conditioner which can keep the room at a steady temperature of 22 degrees <laughs> now what does that yeah. remind you of <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow, wow. 
Well, I mean, I could just see the arena demon being a rock. Doesn't have to eat. Doesn't lose any energy. Doesn't gain any energy. Just, just, it's just there. What about reproduction? Yeah, that's that's true. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. also, it's not. It doesn't live infinitely either because of you know erosion and all of that. Well, uh, you know, it depends on what scale of rock you're fine with. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I'll take obsidian in Minecraft, no problem. Um, now that ooh, yeah, I'll just take a cow in Minecraft and then a Steve with a lot of hay, and there we go. <laughs> but they don't grow instantly, you know. When you, well, if when you, you give them a lot of hay, they're, they're fine. You know, they do those hearts and then they grow super fast. Do they grow super? I did not know that. I thought like because you can breed them uh, with hay, but then there's a delay in how fast you can actually breed them. And then oh, when you yeah, have the yeah. small cow, I thought there was a delay before it grew up. Well, maybe. I, I, from my gaming knowledge that I have, I think you can make them grow faster. I don't know. Last <laughs> time I played Mark Minecraft was, you know, years ago. So maybe they changed it. <laughs> yeah, possibly, possibly. Um, that's yeah. interesting. We have had a really... We, I don't think we have had a red thread talking about a Darwinian demon, but it's fun to just talk about it. We, I think we have touched a lot on the physiological restraints. Mm-hmm. We were talking about you know, the uh, the biochemistry just now, and um, and also the conservation of energy uh, and exchange of it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like one thing that that's kind of left here is because you know, you want to take it philosophical. Uh, and, you know, we're not going to cover this in this episode because we're already getting to about 33 minutes. So maybe next time you come on, we can talk about kind of the philosophy of it, like the drive for perfection, whether yeah. that's kind of the optimal thing to do. And, and if it's a human um, sort of perception of the world, that the perfection exists and that, uh, you know, the axioms of per- perfection are human, like culturally made or... So there you go. That's what we're going to talk about the ne- in the next episode, <laughs> next time Vigo's here. So thank you very much for listening. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving a rating. Uh, if you have any feedback at all, you can reach me on Twitter at Quantum2. So that's the name of this podcast with the number two at the end. Or you can reach Vigo at Instagram. Come on. Vigo underscore Ray. <laughs> yeah, both will be in the description. So thank you very much for listening and I hope you have a lovely day. Bye. Bye.